Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who is in New Jersey, where he had the opportunity to bet on the Emmys this past weekend, whereas I am in Pennsylvania and none of the sports books in my state were offering Emmys betting. I was very invested emotionally, though, if not financially. I love Succession and think it clearly deserved to win Outstanding Drama Series. I think the final season of Game of Thrones didn't deserve to be nominated, much less to win. I was happy to see the brilliant second season of Fleabag sweep most of the comedy awards, though I was shocked to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus not win for Veep, and I guess it's a good thing I couldn't bet, because I would have probably put a little money on her at lousy odds. Uh, John, I know you watch far less non-sports TV than I do. Do you watch any of the shows that were nominated for anything this year? Uh, well, you know, Eric, I, I learned from the start of this uh, little escapade we, we've been on uh, last year that podcasts are all about authenticity, right? So um, since you asked, um, I will confess I've never seen any of these shows that are not on network or basic cable. So um, okay. I DVR maybe three or four shows on a weekly basis. So um, okay. that being said, I, I noticed on, I think it was on Saturday that uh, New Jersey had these exclusive on Emmys betting. So I checked out some lines and I figured, uh, hey, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, she was great on Seinfeld. And my sister and her daughter are obsessed with this new show of hers and she's favored to win. So how can I lose? <laughs> this and, new show of hers that was in well, its seventh and final season. But OK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I lost. And right. Uh, to your point, uh, if I had known she had gone six for six on this award and this was her last season, I'd have bet more and tried to win a candy <laughs> bar instead of a gumball. But uh, didn't happen. And uh, I also reached for Ted Danson as best actor because uh, some random guys on a baseball site, I frequent think his new show is the best ever. So maybe voters would think that. And um, I'm not proud of any of this, Eric. <laughs> well, had had the awards been entirely determined by merit, I think uh, Ted Danson was a fine choice. He is excellent on The Good Place, which is indeed a very good show. And uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is always great on Beep. I, I certainly didn't see that upset coming and would have uh, thought your money was safe. Um but uh, the fact that you didn't know she'd won it six times already shows that you, you did not research properly before uh, putting your money on things. Uh, no. Uh, although uh, I guess it's for the best because, uh, like you said, you would have bet even more if you'd known. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes to show you that you cannot bet significant money on something when you don't know what you're talking about. So either know what you're talking about or don't bet much money. And, uh, <laughs> there you I'm go. Gonna... 
I went with the second one. <laughs> right. Well, the question now is whether the sports books will be allowed to offer betting on the 2019 Podcast Excellence Awards so we can bet on ourselves to win Best Gambling Podcast. I, I, like I think that. that would be worthy of your, your standard $2 bet at least, right? Uh, I might I might double up on that one. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 58 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 57 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. We guarantee even the worst episode of Gamble On is better than the finale of Game of Thrones. Uh, yes, I have heard that. I can't <laughs> speak directly to it, but I've heard that. Uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Jed Korenthal. He's the chief marketing officer of real-time streaming platform Phoenix. Uh, he's going to talk about the connection between live streaming technology and in-game betting and what challenges sports books and bettors face on that. Uh, but first, it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Undoubtedly, the biggest news of the week in the gambling industry was the latest development in a saga John has been reporting on for quite a while, as the New Jersey Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association won a court ruling over the NFL and the other major sports leagues on Tuesday when a three-judge panel reversed a lower court's ruling by a two-to-one split decision. The Horsemen are fighting for $150 million they say they're owed for four years of not being allowed to offer sports betting, plus a $3.4 million bond claim, and the previous ruling dismissed even that smaller claim, but now they're back in the running for maybe the whole $150 million. Uh, Judges Marjorie Rendell and Theodore McKee ruled in the horseman's favor, while Judge David Porter dissented. But by a two-to-one margin, the horsemen are back on track. John, this is your baby. I'll let you break it down. Uh, What are the most interesting aspects of this ruling to you? Uh, Did the reversal surprise you? And where do you see it going from here? Yeah, I mean, Erica, I'm 10 years in on this New Jersey sports betting story, so I'm no longer able to be surprised. I think. <laughs> uh, you know, I greatly enjoyed this is the third time the Third Circuit has gotten an aspect of the saga, and all three times the result was two to one, which hardly ever happens at the at that level in circuit court. Um, but this case just uh, confounds everybody. Um, the judge who wrote the majority opinion in the first one became the dissenter in the second one, and the judge, Marjorie Rendell, as you mentioned, she wrote the majority opinion in the second one, again, siding with the sports leagues, and she wrote the majority opinion here, siding with the horseman on a separate issue. I mean, some people like neat and tidy, but uh, I say bring on the chaos, you know. As I tweeted yesterday, so the New Jersey horsemen stay alive in sports betting damages case versus NFL et al. Opinion written by ex-wife of Pennsylvania governor who brought in casinos that led to New Jersey adding sports betting, but she ruled for the leagues until Supreme Court overturned her in 2018. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. And now back to the ruling. Um, basically, it appears the horsemen are locked to get the $3 million bond because uh, the sports league never even contested the amount set by ship. They just said, you know, they'll get nothing and like it. Um, the real money, of course, is in the damages. Um, the bond was to compensate the horsemen for a few weeks of lost revenue in case Judge Michael Ship found in short order that the horsemen should prevail back in 2014. But based on a legal argument over whether the second version of the New Jersey sports betting law was kosher was, was the specific problem then. But as the new ruling notes, we now know that the 1992 federal law that gave Nevada its monopoly was unconstitutional from day one in 1992. So the horsemen didn't get screwed out of a few weeks of sports betting, but of four years of it, you know, from 2014 to 2018. Mm-hmm. That's why they want the $150 million. Um, you know, just like this, the core sports betting issue, the league should have settled long ago. But they keep believing they will win, and in the end, they keep losing. Um, they win and win, win, and then they lose where it matters, um, kind of like teams that can't win in the playoffs. Um, 
Ship is now 0-3 with his bosses at the Third Circuit, so I don't expect any fight from him on the bond. Uh, but the damage is, I think he's in a pickle. I mean, it, it would look awkward if he surrenders now and just gives the enforcement what they want after mm-hmm. denying them at every turn. Um, but even more so if he denies extra damages, then gets overturned by a Third Circuit panel yet again. So uh, unlike my beloved five-year-old Phil Ivey v. Bergata case, <laughs> where neither side will ever run out of money, the horsemen would have to be tempted by a compromised settlement offer from the leagues, who have mm-hmm. tons of money that the horsemen don't have. But egos are involved, so I'm not convinced they'll offer it, um, and I hope they don't. Uh, since the near death of old school journalism during the life of this case, I don't have much competition on the story, especially in terms of putting it all in context. So I say keep the chaos coming. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you you called attention to the the detail that I found really interesting in, in your story on NJOnlineGambling.com that, I mean, this is something I wouldn't know because I don't write much about this legal stuff. But the, the fact that split decisions on three judge panels are, are rare, and yet this case has been nothing but split decisions. I, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, and also the uh, there's an end bank uh, op- uh, opportunity if you lose at the Third Circuit or any circuit to uh, get the whole court, 12, 12 or so judges, to review it. And that never happens, what happened here. And then mm-hmm. um, occasionally if you appeal to the Supreme Court, the court will send it to the Solicitor General, uh, the, the main sports betting case here, uh, which almost never happened, but they did it here. And then um, – <laughs> Whenever the Solicitor General tells the Supreme Court to do, basically, you know, we suggest you take a case, we suggest you not take it. The Supreme Court always goes by their uh, opinion. That's why they asked for it. In this case, the Solicitor General said, don't take the case. And the Supreme Court said, uh, we'll take it anyway, which never happens. <laughs> right. So by that point, it was no surprise the Supreme Court ruled what they did. And like I said, I, I can't be surprised by anything in this case anymore. Right. You say it never happens, uh, to, to quote the Princess Bride. I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, um, but I don't know if you spotted this uh, on on social media, but there's definitely some schadenfreude within the gambling community about the prospect of this lawsuit costing the big bad sports leagues a lot of the money that uh, that really that they should have been making off of legal sports betting this whole time. Uh, gambling Twitter seemed to have some fun wondering how much quote unquote integrity 150 million dollars could have bought, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we still don't know exactly what the end result of all this will be, but uh, if they got $150 million or, or even close to it, you know, spread among all the horse racing tracks, I assume, John, that would make a huge difference to their businesses if they got it. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even get my head around it. But keep in mind, this is, well, it's mainly, I was going to say it's just the thoroughbred horseman, but it's not exactly true because Jeff Gorell of the Meadowlands Racetrack on the hardest racing side has helped fund this uh, lawsuit from day one. So, uh, yeah, I guess they would spread it around. Um, yeah, it would be a tremendous amount of money. But um, I, just like the rest of the case, I don't quite see exactly how this is going to turn out, but I can't wait. Right. All right. For our next story, we look at a form of gambling that I do not understand the appeal of at all. Uh, and apparently most of my fellow Pennsylvanians feel the same way. Our new colleague, Gary Rothstein, wrote a piece on Wednesday for Penn Bets about the Pennsylvania Lottery's Express Sports Game, which allows you to place bets on simulated animated sports. Part of Gary's article was a first-person account of making express sports bets at a bar while other patrons were betting on Monday Night Football, and Gary was the only person there who seemed to even know about the option to bet on these (laughs) fake sports outcomes. He reported that the express sports games have generated just $1 million in revenue in 10 months when they were projected for $13 million for the first year. And his article broke the news that the football game is so unpopular that it's being revamped and replaced in the meantime with a virtual horse racing betting game. Undoubtedly, part of the problem for the Pennsylvania lottery here is that real legal sports betting has come to Pennsylvania. So gamblers don't need express sports to scratch that itch. 
John, do you see any chance of these simulated sports games catching on in the U.S. the way they apparently have in some other countries? Yeah, I mean, I love this story just because it's so weird. I mean, <laughs> there there are historic racing games, I think, in a few states, and you get sort of a program of previous track records of, of anonymous horses, and then you make your bet on a years-ago race where no one recognized the horses. But I think the idea there is you play one or two of these to kill time between races, right? So now this thing where your pretend game is on a screen in between real live NFL action, um, it was insane from the get-go. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting that the auto racing game, uh, the parent, the, the those are the two that Express Sports came out offering was a football and an auto racing, and the auto racing game has gained a little traction because you just pick a car to win, and it's very simple. The football game, as Gary writes, w- was clearly too complicated to have to guess <laughs> the outcome of the drive and what play it will end on. It's you know it just feels like throwing darts blindfolded. Uh, but either way. Whatever the game is, I just don't see many people getting into it. I figure if you like sports betting, you'll bet on actual sports. If you like games of chance, you'll play online slots or online roulette or you'll just buy lottery scratch offs. This feels to me like an idea that's (laughs) destined to fail in any state where other gambling options are available. Yeah, I'd love to have been in the room where, you know, people are talking about this and somebody came up with that idea. Well, we'll say you got to know, you know, on what play will they score and how many do they need? And someone actually in in the room saying, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. (laughs) I want to meet those people. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it is just uh, bizarre. You you labeled it right. This story is just weird. And uh, but it sounds like they're not giving up. They're going to going to revamp it and, and keep trying. Good luck to that. (laughs) Our third and final story this week comes with a spoiler alert. Uh, We're about to discuss the reality TV show Survivor. So if you plan to watch the season premiere that aired Wednesday night, but you haven't seen it yet, fast forward about three or four minutes until you hit the interview segment of the podcast. Uh, And now full spoilers. The cast of this new 39th season of Survivor includes poker pro Ronnie Barda, who won a WSOP bracelet in 2012 and holds the record for consecutive caches in the main event with five straight from 2010 to 2014, but is arguably best known for getting bluffed out of a big pot on TV by Miss Finland. Yes, really. Um, That was Barda's most embarrassing televised moment for sure until now. Uh, Here's that spoiler. Barda was the first person voted out on season 39 of Survivor. He didn't tell his tribe mates that he was a poker player, which was a smart idea. Uh, And in fact, at tribal council, he ran down a very long list of jobs he had, and he mentioned casino dealer, but not poker pro. But they sniffed him out as suspect anyway. Uh, From what we saw, and with these heavily edited reality TV shows, you can't always be sure you're getting the full story. Uh, But from what we saw, he had one conversation where a tribe mate sensed that he was a shady guy whom she couldn't trust, and she managed to rally the troops against him to make him the target at tribal council. So Barda joins a not-so-illustrious group of poker pros who've gone on Survivor. Five have tried and five have failed. Uh, Jean-Robert Balland in Survivor China and Jim Rice in Survivor South Pacific both made it to day 24 out of 39. That's the longest any poker player has lasted. Anna Kate went out on day 13, and Garrett Edelstein was the worst going out on day six with some really atrocious strategy but now there's a new record holder ronnie barda gone on day three uh john i twisted your arm and made you watch the show what did you think uh yeah eric for 45 minutes i wondered if you were pranking me or punking me or whatever they call it these days um and this guy wasn't even on the show but uh then yeah he has the conversation with a female factory worker from kentucky and he thinks he's tricked her into believing they are philosophical soulmates or something. And then right. you see her response. And for a moment, you, we think she's fallen for it. And then you realize she smelled a rat. 
Um, I loved it. In honor of my blue collar roots from my grandfather, the stonemason, grandmother, the maid, father, the firefighter and so on. Um, don't ever underestimate us. And and if he has blue collar roots, too, I, I don't want to hear about it. Don't harsh my buzz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did seem to have some blue collar background there from uh, Brockton, Massachusetts, uh, hometown of Rocky mm, Marciano. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, there has long been a huge audience overlap between Survivor and poker. Lots of poker players uh, mm. and poker fans are also big Survivor fans, including some of our past Past guests uh, Jamie Kerstetter loves Survivor, Daniel Negreanu loves it, and has talked about wanting to go on the show, maybe. Um, Survivor and poker have a lot in common. They're about reading people and often about understanding how people perceive you, which is where Ronnie Barter clearly failed here. Uh, and there's a lot of luck involved. Uh, you certainly need skill to win, but you also need to avoid bad luck. Uh, now, you mentioned to me you watched the first season of Survivor but haven't watched since. Um, as the show has gone along, They've kept adding more rule twists and complications. You got a little sense of that last night. But every season we see a few people just get screwed by a twist despite playing the game well. And, uh, you know, that's like poker or sports betting or any game of partial skill. The, the process can be right and the result can be wrong. Yeah, well, that was kind of fun last night. I can't lie. Right. And, and one more thing that uh, about it that uh, I, I went in kind of curious whether Boston Rob, who is part of this season's Island of the Idols theme twist, he's, for people who don't know, he's a guy who's played the game four times in the past and is considered an all-timer. I was curious whether he would recognize Ronnie Barda since Boston Rob plays poker and has competed at the World Series. I actually interviewed him at the WSOP way back in 2005, and I wrote a little item off the interview for my poker match magazine and rob did something about three people in my 22 year journalism career have done he wrote me a personal thank you note after receiving the magazine so there you go boston rob class act in dealing with the media well that is a quality name drop there i gotta tell you <laughs> indeed all right john that's it ronnie barda is out of out he's off the show you're free we don't have to talk about survivor on the podcast again this season <laughs> I'm good. or anywhere else right. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling Let's get to the Gamble On interview. It's hard to offer live odds on a game or to place live bets on a game if you're watching the game on a delay. Uh, even if that delay is just a few seconds, that can make all the difference in terms of having complete information and having time to get a bet in. The real-time streaming platform Phoenix offers technology that minimizes the lag in streaming sports events. And joining us now on the podcast to discuss this topic is Jed Korenthal, Phoenix's chief marketing officer. Jed, welcome to Gamble On. Welcome indeed. Thanks for having me. So we're talking to each other computer to computer right now, and there's no lag. Uh, but it's my understanding that when you're talking about a stream that connects not just three people, but hundreds of thousands of people, the same technology we're using right now won't do the trick. In layman's terms, can you explain what Phoenix's technology does and how it reduces or eliminates latency when, when massive audiences are watching? Sure, absolutely. You're right. Um, so to kind of give you a very brief overview of streaming, um, there are really two what's known as protocols, which kind of collect, uh, connects the two points of video. And um, what most companies like Twitch and Facebook and YouTube and the list is long um, use is a, is a protocol called HLS, which is a, about a 15 or 20 year uh, protocol that was developed by Apple many years ago. And it was designed to allow streams to reach large audiences. So that's why most of the leagues and the networks and broadcasters are using that form of technology because they want to reach, you know, tens, hundreds, millions of, 
of users simultaneously you know, on one stream. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, Google came out with a, a, an open source stack called WebRTC, which is a chat designed for chat, which is exactly what we're using now, as you, as you alluded to. It, it is, it is a, again, it connect, connects the two points. It allows us to, to stream in real time, but the sort of the off-the-shelf product, it, it, to your point, does not allow it to scale. So what we d have done is essentially looked at the two um, and we're fortunate to have a CEO, Dr. Stefan Berer, who's been doing uh, streaming work for 20 years and even wrote his dissertation on streaming in 2002 when there really wasn't live streaming to, you know, much at all. So um, he's quite the visionary and, and he's kind of really set the trends and, and put us in a direction where um, the feeling was more people are going to over, over time want to stream their content in real time. So the question becomes, how do we then scale that? So instead of using this sort of off-the-shelf WebRTC that we're using right now, we re-engineered we re it and reverse-engineered it and essentially built a platform from the ground up. Um, we have developed over a million and a half lines of code. We have a number of patent-pending uh, parts of the, of the solution. And so we have rebuilt the technology to allow it to scale from the start rather than trying to, there are some companies, very few, but there are one or two that are trying to use WebRTC in a little bit of a different way, meaning to scale it, they're kind of building on top of what this platform is right now. And then as, as you get more users, you just sort of add more servers and more boxes. And um, we don't feel that's the most efficient way to do it. So we've just said, you know what, we're gonna just start from scratch go from the ground up and rebuild a platform um, that is compatible with WebRTC. So all the browsers um, use it. And so there's no plugins, there's no downloads. The user has, you know, it's very seamless to the user, um, but, but we're allowed, but because of what we've done, we've, we're allowed allowing content owners to stream to, you know, hundreds, if not millions of users um, simultaneously. So that's kind of how we've done it. Okay, and, and, and ultimately the amount of lag that, that you've been able to get it down to is like half a second or less than that or something? Correct, three to 500 milliseconds end to end, or what's known as glass to glass, meaning from when we pick up the stream at a camera or a production truck, you know, that, the glass of the camera to the glass of your mobile device or laptop or whatever endpoint you're reaching, um, we, we, can, we can stream that in three to 500 milliseconds. I think it's also important to note that lag or latency comes in two forms. There's the latency between, let's say, the, the field and your device. And that, you know, in most cases is, you know, 30, 40, 50 seconds, although they're trying to get it down um, to less than that. But there's also the latency between users. So you and I, the three of us, could be watching a game on the same platform um, but our latency is different, meaning you could be 26 seconds behind and I might be 38 seconds behind and, and you know, John might be 48 seconds behind. So that sort of what they call drift varies. And um, so your, your users, the users are not in sync. Nobody's really watching at the same time. And one of the features that Phoenix has built is a patent um, pending technology we call SyncWatch which allows us to essentially sync every user 
regardless of where they are in the world, regardless of the device or connection they have. So all three of us would watch the game at the same time, even if, you know, John was in Brazil and you were in Sydney and I was in New York. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Jed, I want to ask you a question about uh, kind of a topic I understand on the, on the politics side, not as much on the tech side. You know, that's about last year, Supreme Court rules uh, that states can have sports betting if they want. A bunch of states do it. Uh, immediately, several of the leagues uh, decide they want an integrity fee, they called it. Basically, uh, wet your beak, we'd say in Jersey here. Uh, so they, they just wanted a slice of the action just for existing. And yeah. they even wanted legislation to insist that the uh, operators had to do it. Um, operators resisted, legislators resisted, the leagues kind of weren't getting anywhere. And then um, in-game betting, especially in New Jersey, became so popular so quickly that um, it, it was clear there was value there. And then the leagues kind of pivoted a little bit and said, well, we've got official league data here, and that's going to be very crucial. And a lot of the operators responded very positively, and they said, yeah, that's, that's something we want to buy. We'll pay for this. And it's sort of it's seeming like if you don't get involved with that, you're kind of left behind a little bit. So uh, in my kind of Pollyanna think, thinking, I'm thinking, well, is in-game betting solving this issue where the leagues wanted some money, the operators didn't want to give it to them, but then the leagues actually have something worthwhile? And is that sort of uh, kumbaya or am I uh, being too... No, I think you, you've, do, you've done your homework there, John. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, you're right. I mean, the integrity fees were a tough sell. I think it was, um, you know, what are you putting the fee on? You know, I mean, how much is the fee and how does it go? And, you know, you start to become a little bit of a, there could be some conflicts if you start seeing leagues taking bets and it, it becomes a very strange or difficult um, process to undergo. So they, I think they've done a smart thing in, in saying, you know what, our data is, is the Holy grail. And that's, you know, that's what we live on and that's what we're going to make our money on. So you're right. They've been able to sign non-exclusive deals with multiple parties. I mean, MLB has a number, um, NFL at Caesars, and they're signing more. I mean, all the leagues in the U.S. are signing multiple data deals. What's interesting is they don't necessarily include streaming rights or digital rights, if you will. So um, there's a whole nother level of deals that will probably, you know, ultimately come to pass once they determine how they want to handle the streams of these bets. And you're right, in-game betting is really where the future is. And that's, I mean, frankly, that's where we're putting our stake in the ground. Um, if you look at the UK, which is really the, the, the you know, the, the sports betting model that we all sort of look at, although it's, it's going to be different here in the US, it's still worth looking at the UK. You're looking at something like 70% of the, of the Premier League, which is, you know, the ultimate property um, there, takes in-game betting. But, you know, again, we look at it like, okay, so what is in-game betting? Is it, will Chelsea score more goals in the second half than Arsenal will? And that's sort of an in-game bet that you can place. In the U.S., you could equate that to, you know, will the Chiefs score a touchdown on the next drive? And you can place a bet on that. Or will the, you know, will Steph Curry score more points in the fourth quarter than will he score in the third quarter? So those are what's in-game, that's what's known as in-game betting now. But kind of selfishly promoting our technology a little bit, when you start getting into real-time streaming, that completely changes the dynamic. Now, not only are you betting on will it be a, the next drive be a touchdown, will the next play be a touchdown? Will the next pitch in baseball be a strike? Will the next turn in a racing, you know, in a, in a NASCAR race or in a Formula One race, 
who's going to win that next turn? So you can really start to get to the point where you're betting on almost everything and almost to the point where the score of the game, I don't want to say becomes meaningless, but becomes almost secondary because even if let's say there's a football game that's 35 nothing and maybe in the past fans would turn away because it's a blowout and I don't really want to watch the game now well wait a second I'm still engaged because I want to make bets and I want to say wait a second you know it's 35 nothing maybe the next play is going to be a running play and I want to bet that he's going to score a touchdown on the next play so you can have these you know these these you know five ten dollar casual bets which is really where the money is going to come from and from a league and broadcast standpoint, it's a win because you have, you know, you're driving engagement, not just financially, but you're driving engagement, which is going to drive advertising, which is going to be a whole snowball effect for them. So um, the in-game betting is really where, in our opinion, that's where this whole business is going and that's where everything is going to change. So, so following right on, on that question, then, uh, you know, we have the official data as important, uh, perhaps, to perfecting in-game betting, and we have uh, the streaming technology. Right. What do you see as the connection between a streaming technology company like Phoenix and those companies that provide the data? Are they equal parts of the picture when it comes to maximizing in-game betting's potential? I, I think ultimately they will. So right now, one of the problems with some of the streaming technology that's out is that the data can come in real time and it's way ahead of the stream. So you've got a situation where, you know, you may even have to hold back the data uh, to match the stream so you can bet while you're watching. In many cases, um, you know, you have sort of two different, like if you go into some of the sports books and, you know, you're looking at, you know, certain screens have the odds and then certain screens have the action, you know, the, the actual video. Mm-hmm. Um, but with us, you can actually bridge those two because we can actually sync the data with the stream both in real time. So if you look at a company, let's say like FanDuel, which I think is really kind of on the cusp of something super cool because, you know, they're, they're adding data and video on right onto their app. So you don't have to go anywhere. It's right here in front of you. You can watch and bet and bet and watch, you know, on the same app. So um, I think that's where things are ultimately going to go. And, you know, we'll, we believe that we'll be at the forefront because of the fact that we can sync the data with the stream so you can have all these bets happening at a much closer uh, time frame, and you don't have to cut bets off. You don't have to worry about fraud. You know, somebody calling you from the game, hey, bet on, you know, bet on Steph Curry. He's going to hit the next shot or something like that, um, you know, because you have eight or ten seconds of delay. With us, you have 300 milliseconds, so you don't have that time to make a call and, and, and worry about that, you know, that fraud situation. So um, that's where we believe it's going. Yeah, I mean, Jed, uh, you kind of blow my mind with some of the stuff you can already do. Um, I'm going back to the early 90s, right? Uh, TRS-80, Radio Shack, uh, little uh, uh, flat screen. TRS-100, wow, it had a pop-up screen. Um, bag phone, acoustic couplers. Um, this is uh, all before the internet came along. Yes. I'm traveling the other the country covering the NBA and NHL. So um, I certainly didn't see the internet coming. And then um, obviously all the, all the developments since then, sports betting gets legalized. Um, it's amazing. You can bet on any game you want. Um, mobile phone, you can bet on your phone. You don't have to 
to, to go to a casino or racetrack um, and then in-game betting. And now you're talking about getting there where you can bet on what the next pitch is going to be. Okay. Exactly. So, um, every step of the way that I'm talking about over 30 years, um, I've kind of thought, well, what else can possibly possibly do? <laughs> I mean, so, so generally speaking, as someone who knows the industry, um, uh, what, what more can possibly happen than you can bet on the next play of a sporting event? Is, is there some 10 year thing where, well, someday people are going to be able to do, I don't know what, is this the end of the road or is there more to happen? Well, I, I'll never say that it's the end of the road. I'm sure there's going to always be new developments and, and new technology that we're constantly working on. I mean, things that we're working on are like, you know, a lot of the broadcasters look to monetize, you know, by advertising. Um, so when you have a 30 second lag, you can insert ads, you know, in the stream and it becomes a very simple thing. But when you have 300 milliseconds, you know, it becomes a much more challenging type of, of way. But that's actually, there was a, a show out in, in Amsterdam, it's called IBC, which is a big, you know, industry. It's kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard of NAB. NAB is this big industry show in Las Vegas in, in April. And the counterpart of it is called IBC in, in Amsterdam, it kind of sort of suits the, the European and, and to some extent the Asian markets as well, and the US as well, people come from the US. Um, but we launched a beta version of real-time ad, ad insertion um, there. So, so we'll be able to, um, for the companies that want to help monetize, you know, these streams in real time, not only um, can you look at the bets and, and, you know, the data, as you pointed out, John, but also now you can start monetizing from an advertising standpoint, if you so desire. I mean, some are subscription based, but I'm sure there are going to be those that are interested in figuring out a way to take ads into these streams. So that's, you know, one thing that we're working on that we see as kind of a new development. Fascinating stuff. Uh, it, it's been really uh, enlightening talking to you, Jed. Where, where can our listeners go to, to learn more about Phoenix? Sure. Our website is uh, Phoenix, uh, and it's, there's no O, like it's not the city. So it's P-H-E-N-I-X-R-T-S dot com. Excellent. All right. Well, th thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank yeah, you, guys. Thanks, Appreciate it. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. We'll do a big update next week on futures bets, since the MLB regular season will be over, plus we'll be one quarter of the way through the NFL season, so we can take a quick look at how our NFL futures are shaping up. But for now... We focused strictly on last week's bets, and we went three for four, a damn fine week for us. John focused on college football. He took Florida to cover the 14-point spread against Tennessee, and they did so easily, so we won $100 on that. And he took the under in the Wisconsin-Michigan game, and a garbage-time touchdown blew that one for us, and we lost $110. My two bets were both in the NFL. First, on Thursday... Jaguars receiver DJ Chark came through for me and tallied well over 45 and a half yards, winning us $100. And my four-team NFL Moneyline Parlay was a winner, as the Patriots and Cowboys won easily, the Vikings won easily over the Raiders, despite John's lack of faith, and the Rams, the one team out of the four that I was nervous about, eked one out over the Browns. Just what you needed, John, the betting gods encouraging me to keep trying parlays. Oh, uh, <laughs> anyway, that one uh, won us $123, meaning we profited $213 for the week, and we're now back in the black by $125. Ooh. We also have $3,352 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $6,773 available to bet with this week 
and you're up first. Uh, I'm going to stick with college football, actually. Um, okay. I can't stand Ohio State. You know, the whole the oh, – that, that, that kind of strikes me as a cry for help, frankly, but <laughs> I don't get it. Um, but I love the Buckeyes giving 17. It's somehow still overrated Nebraska, 110 to win 100. Um, and I think I need a 2-0 week before I get more aggressive. Okay, that's fine. Stick with the standard 110 to win 100. Um, I'm going to play some boxing bets. Uh, there's a big pay-per-view card this Saturday, and I have two bets that I like. And I, I won't bore you with too many details, John, since I know you've never heard of any of these guys. Uh, the main <laughs> event is Errol Spence Jr versus Sean Porter. Spence is a huge favorite around minus a thousand, but to win specifically by decision, he's a smaller favorite minus 140 at FanDuel. So I'll place a half size bet on that $70 to win 50. And on the undercard, Batir Akhmadov is a plus 150 underdog at Fox bet to upset Mario Barrios. To me, this is a 50 50 fight and Akhmadov is only the underdog because he's unknown in America. So I like that price. Another half size bet. Let's risk $50 to win 75. Uh, Eric, I'm also not a fan of Notre Dame, but I'll take the Fighting Irish at minus 12 and a half versus Virginia. I mean, rarely do I see a Notre Dame spread I like, actually, but this is one, so another 110 to win 100. Okay. Uh, and the last bet here is going to be an NFL MVP bet. We've seen three weeks of games, and uh, I'll ask you a question, John, uh, before I reveal exactly what my bet is. If Patrick Mahomes stays relatively healthy, if he plays, let's say, at least 14 out of 16 games, do you see any realistic scenario right now where he isn't the MVP? Um, you know, I want to say if his offensive talented mates don't stay healthy, but right. he's missed some of them last year <laughs> and this year yeah. and he's still doing it. So, so yeah, I, I really, that's, that's a good point. I, it's hard to see him not winning. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a key point is too, is yeah, so far he's doing it without, without Tyree kill and the, the running back uh, went down the other, the other week. So yeah, I, the only scenario I could think of was that if the Patriots go 16 and 0 or 15 and one, and the chiefs end up at least two or three wins behind them, maybe Brady could get it, but that's about it. Mahomes is so far ahead of the pack already through three weeks. He's so good. Uh, to me, he should be like even money right now. Uh, to, to me, it's basically if he doesn't suffer any major injuries, he's just about a lock to win the award for the second year in a row. And DraftKings has him at plus 160. Uh, so like I said, uh, if, if, I, if I feel like even money is fair and they're giving me plus 160, I love that price. So let's bet $100 to win 160 on Mahomes for MVP. All right. And we close things out with the Fast Five, where John extended his lead slightly and has now started the season three for three in terms of going over 500 each week. He went three and two last week, winning with the Lions, Jets, and Steelers, losing with the Buccaneers, and for the second week in a row with the Redskins. Uh, I went two and three, winning with the Colts and Rams, but losing with the Titans, Chiefs, and Seahawks. Uh, but I forgive the Seahawks because Russell Wilson helped me have a winning week in DFS. Uh, humble brag there. Anyway, uh, John now has a a very strong 11 and four record. I'm just barely keeping my head above water at eight and seven. And I'm up first this week. Uh, let's start with the Colts. I've done well so far betting on them this season. They're proving to be a perfectly solid team, maybe even a playoff team without Andrew Luck. And they're at home against the Raiders, probably a bottom five ish team in the NFL. And the Colts are favored by six and a half points. That seems like a real undervaluing of the Colts, who are just so well coached. This line is about two points too low in my view. So give me Indy. Uh, another team favored by six and a half, although this team is on the road. I'll take the Chiefs to cover in Detroit. The Lions are a fraudulent 2-0-1. They blew it against the Cardinals in week one. 
and they got handed the game by a series of awful mistakes by the Chargers in week two. And then same thing in week three, got bailed out by drops and fumbles and costly penalties and a missed face mask call against a depleted Eagles team. But I'm not bitter. Anyway, uh, this is a mismatch, an elite team against a team that despite being 2-0-1, I expect to finish below 500. I don't think the Lions defense will be able to handle the Chiefs offense at all. So I got the Chiefs there. Another big favorite, although this time I don't get the hook. It's a full seven points, uh, but I'll take the Patriots to cover against Buffalo, similar to the last game. The Bills are fine, you know, good defense, a few playmakers, but they're 3-0 and against the Jets, Giants, and Bengals. It's a misleading 3-0. and The Patriots do have some injuries starting to pile up at this point, but their defense is so good. I expect them to force some Josh Allen turnovers. I don't see the Bills scoring many points. Happy to take the Pats laying seven. My last two games, I'm picking small underdogs who I believe will win outright. Uh, The Vikings, plus one and a half at Chicago. I just think Minnesota's the better team, better quarterback, better offense. Dalvin Cook is phenomenal. Should be a low-scoring game. I predict the Vikes will win outright on the road, but if they lose by one, that's fine too. Uh, And my other team is the Jaguars, getting three in Denver. Even without Nick Foles, uh, Gardner Minshew is doing just fine. Denver's a mess. Joe Flacco is washed. Uh, Just two touchdown passes through three games, and he's been sacked 11 times. Again, I think Jacksonville will win outright, but if they lose by a point or two, uh, that's okay also. So uh, there you go. I have Indy, KC, New England, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. All right, Eric, uh, you know, on, on top of my record, I'm also pleased I've only got one stinker double-digit loss versus spread in 15 mm-hmm. tries, and that was Bengals 49ers in week two, which that game mystifies me. But um, all right, well, I've won twice going against your Eagles, Eric, and this time I'm going to go with them, plus four at the mm-hmm. Packers. Um, Alshon Jeffrey's back, and that Packers injury list is not great for them either. So, you know, the Eagles are feisty, just like their fans, aren't they? So uh, <laughs> I like that one. Um, then the Ravens minus six and a half versus the overrated Browns. Um, good luck finding this hook later in the week, but um, if you can get the six and a half, go for it. Um, Dolphins plus 15 and a half versus the Chargers. I mean, some franchises never, ever have any business giving this many points on the road. And this is one of them. <laughs> There's about 10, 15 of them. And that's one of them. Uh, Miami played it too cautious early against the Cowboys. Um, they had an onside kick recovery overturned on kind of a tough call. But they really hung in there for a while. So the, there's a little bit of a pulse there, and um, 15 and a half is a lot at home. So uh, also Patriots minus seven versus Bills. Uh, we both like that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffalo's 3-0, and and we know they're good because uh, – wait, we don't know they're good at all. Um, <laughs> Brady and Belichick will love slapping around the impudent Bills. So, uh, we're both on that one. And also Vikings plus one and a half versus the Bears. Um, we know the Bears' defense is good, and we know their offense is good because we – we, we don't know that, and it's, it's not good. So uh, we're uh, even on two of them, and uh, I actually like your, a couple of your other picks too. So uh, look for us both to do well this week. Yeah, I think so. That's funny. I was just going to say that of the three games you picked that I didn't, if I had to take a side in those, I probably would have taken the same side as you. So all right, we're both going 5-0. and oh, I can feel it. All right, we're in sync. Yes. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Jed Korenthal. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, Eric, I just want to give a shout out to the communications class students at Rutgers University who were so receptive to my presentation yesterday. What we're both trying to do, Eric, here on the podcast, on Twitter, and on the websites we write for is understand our audience and you know make the needed adjustments we need to, to give them what they want. 
And um, the older you get, the more challenging it can be, obviously, to relate to college students. And, and when you're face-to-face, -face, uh, maybe even more so. So I decided to focus less on explaining legal, regulated U.S. gambling and kind of more on practical advice for the many seniors in the audience. Uh, and I, by seniors, I mean graduating, not elderly, <laughs> uh, on how to focus on their next 40 years of work. And I, I feel as if, you know, I, I hope I can offer a little bit of a template in the sense of evolving in your workplace for years before you leave it. So you gain relevant skills that are going to help you on your next one. You know, I talked to them about... Um, you know, if you have a lot of suggestions in your workplace, um, your bosses see that as showing initiative, and that's good, when really what you're trying to do is set yourself up for your next job. But it's a win-win, so uh, I think they got the message. So uh, good luck and Godspeed to those Rutgers students, and until next time, gamble on.